Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Arts Commission, and we are not in MPB studios, as you can hear from the clank of the dishes and the music in the background. We're in one of Jackson's nightclubs, Dueling Hall, and uh, we've come out uh, tonight to uh, talk with one of our favorite uh, returning guests here at the Arts Hour, Jimbo Mathis. Jimbo, welcome. Hello, everyone. Jimbo, it's been a while, but uh, we're, we're really glad to have you back. Yeah, it's been a few years, but it's nice to see you again, Larry. Nice to be back on the show. It's one of my favorite shows to, to listen to. Every Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Yeah, it's beautiful. You guys do a great job, so I really appreciate it. Well, you're down here. Um, you've got a brand-new record out called Incinerator that's just come out, and you are kind of out on the road, what, kind of in the southeast with that, right? Yeah, it's a national record. It's on uh, Big Legal Mess, <laughs> a great name for a record label. Uh, and with some of my good friends, my longtime partners in producing and releasing music on a national and worldwide scale. Well, well tell us about, I mean, you've, you've done a bunch of records with the Fat Possum Big Legal Mess folks uh, over, over maybe the last 10 years or so, especially, right? Uh, but this one... Uh, incinerator is a little bit different in the way you approach this one than maybe some of the past ones i think so yeah it's quite interesting uh the record itself is uh somewhat of a departure for what people may know me for um i've been on this show talking about all manner of different mississippi related topics and, and music but the incinerator record is a more personal thing it's more of a sort of peering into my subconscious if you will and uh Going into some heavier topics with any of the records I've done in the past 10 years, I think. I mean, all of my songs have a gravitas, have a meaning, you know. I don't write trivially. Uh, but this one in particular has a, a, it's a vulnerable record. It's a fragile record. It's got hints of madness and longing, love, and, and also of um, people uh, in my life that are important to me. And so I was able to kind of encapsulate uh, a lot of memory tied up in, I started reflecting over about 40 years of pr releasing music. You know, my first record came out in 1983, and I've put about one record out a year since 1983. So, I mean, that's quite a, quite a bit, and I started thinking, why in the world am I even doing this? What's the underlying cause of this writing, creating impulse and also acceptance and people are interested in it and what does it mean actually you know and so I started thinking and, and cogitating on that and these are the songs I came up with for Incinerator to tell a deeper story a, a, a more cosmic story and a more sort of subconscious uh, type of environment to create for the listener yeah, and, and from what I've read, the, the songs, um, I guess some of them are newly composed, but some have been kind of around, floating around for a while, kind of in, in, the, in the wild reaches of your songwriting. Yeah. In the wild reaches of my songwriting, going back 40 years, but so many of my songs I started to realize are about people that influence me. They can be about 
um, all manner of things, but it always comes back to a person to me. Uh, and I started to realize that, and I started to realize how many of the uh, people that have influenced me have passed away, for example, and started to appreciate them more and their uh, importance in my life. Many new influences I have in my, in my life with people that inspire me, um, that motivate me, that I can call on to ask certain questions and, and get answers, and how important they are now. And so it's an eulogy, really, of a record. Um, it's not a morbid record, uh, but it's even a eulogy for people who aren't past, you know. <laughs> it's like the song on the record, Give Me the Roses While I Live, you know, the, the one cover song I did. kind of sums it up nicely. That I want to appreciate the people now before it's too late. I think the oldest song on the record is maybe 30 years old. Oh, wow. And that would be um, You Never Know What You Got Till It's Gone is the title. So as, I, as the record started to take shape, I started to see the concept really coming together with gravity. Uh, I was able to go back in the junkyard of my songs and find other moments that worked with this. And, uh, of course, I never forget a song, you know. <laughs> I'll forget a lot, but I'll never forget that. But there, but there must be hundreds up there, right? There's, uh, it's almost oh, close to a 1,000. Uh, I've released... Commercially released almost 300 songs in my life, uh, just under my name or my bands, not counting the ones I've done on other productions that I've done, which are number in the hundreds. Um, so it's a lot of output. And so as many as I've released, there's that equally as many that I haven't released. Uh, so I'd say closer to a 1,000 songs floating around of my own composition that uh, I have access to. And this is the Arts Hour, and we're, we're talking with Jimbo Mathis today. We're on location at the Dueling Hall, where uh, Jimbo's going to perform tonight with his band. Speaking of those stories, I think one of the m- more evocative ones that you've been talking about in interviews is connected to the title track, kind of that the incinerator and, 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 and the visions and stuff that came out of that. Yeah, incinerator. Um, that one dates back, well, the song itself is new, but the idea I began to formulate back in the 80s. When I first started writing really heavily, I was a deckhand on the barges, on the rivers, inland waterways, and a tankerman eventually on the, on the, Mississippi. Uh, on the Mississippi, the Tennessee, the Ohio, the everywhere. Intercoastal canals, particularly down in the swamps, inspired this type of vision. Well, you know, like Hank Williams said, you will never get out of this world alive. And so I started thinking about the incinerator and how it related to the petroleum plants in the swamp. When you're out there in the middle of the night, it's a, it's a blackness. And you may be on one barge and you're way in these canals, uh, way off the map. And there'll be a petroleum plant burning and they burn off the, the distillate, the components they don't want from whatever they're distilling at the plant so you see the huge flames shooting up in the stacks and it's a it's a bleak swamp landscape that you're looking at and 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 you're on the watch say from midnight to 6 a.m so you're awake and you see the swamp is like a big wound in the earth almost just infested with life you know 
and you see this uh, petroleum distillates burning in these in the distant tower you know it's a stark image that's just burned in my mind you know funny story on the back watch we call it midnight to six you know on the barges you know the swamp people you know they'll they're very crafty <laughs> and so they'll sneak up in a little piro to your boat and one or two of them and and creep in your tool room or your kitchen and and like rob the boat so you had to be vigilant for bandits almost you know uh so it was like the 1830s yeah yeah my whole life is is like that and uh it it was it's just very primal and so i started thinking i'm a huge student of history of genealogy of um religion and uh occult leanings you know and and um and so I started sort of thinking I started thinking about the human spirit. How much power does it have? How much energy does it possess? And 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 when you're looking at these petroleum megaliths out in the swamp, it's a high pressure situation with these wellheads and these pipes and this high pressure and it's like a system, you know, that supplies power. Uh and the thing that burns off are the 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 burn off and and so i started sort of reckoning it to a power of the human spirit and no one on earth can measure the power you know uh, it, it obviously it creates everything we're doing now we're talking about arts we're talking about life that's the human condition the human spirit so i started putting this strange analogy together to the to the petroleum plants and the burn off and the, and the burn off equating to the spirit uh, you know after death and it goes somewhere there's something left and it, it, it maybe in my imaginings it goes into flies into outer space into the sun gravity you know sun's gravity extends you know three tri- trillion miles you know and so perhaps this human souls are pulled up there and, and just cook for a while you know in the sun it gives us life Purified. yeah it re re-energizes them and it re-constitutes um, them and maybe that's where they hide out, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a wild concept, but it could be true. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows. And, and that's the ultimate point of the album is no one knows these things I'm, I'm asking about, I'm seeing about, I'm commenting on. It's impossible to know. No one will ever know. But I think my premise is as good as any. So that so those deckhand years was that kind of like your first adventure away from home, kind of the first time to be out, kind of. This was you were pretty young doing. That. I, mean, I was a teenager. I mean, yeah. I grew up pretty adventurous, and, and my parents were were pretty bold people, and it wasn't a sheltered type of life. I grew up in a bunch of music family, and they liked to travel. And my father's a great outdoorsman, travel to hunt and uh, hike and go everywhere. So. But it was pretty wild, you know, just fresh out of the gate, you know. I would say it was a lot, but I wanted it at that time. I wanted to combine my art with a real work, and I didn't want to be a self-absorbed artist type. I wanted to have some bark on me, you know, even at that age. I knew I, I, I just didn't want to go out there like I was. And uh, had to have, to have, to have done, done something. I, I needed that experience. Yeah. I needed that work. I needed that that hard work, you know, to and, and time to think and and to plan my next move. And so, after that, that's exactly what I did. I planned my next move and 
had to leave the state, you know, really to, to find what I wanted. Because in, in the 80s at that time, Mississippi didn't, wasn't as arts-leaning as it is now, I guess you could say. There wasn't much information available back then. It's pre-internet and all that. So I had to go to places where I had libraries and things where I could research, get answers to my questions. That was Chapel Hill. And that's where... Uh, that's and you just went, went into, like, the, like the university, university libraries? I just used to just go haunt the libraries, yeah. And just they had the folk the folk department there. Yeah. Bill Ferris from Mississippi now runs. He didn't at that time. Uh, but he made the reverse migration just like I did. And uh, it's, a, it's another story altogether. But the, they had a great folk, folk life center. They had the libraries. Any book you could find. And so I really went into, it, like, the arcane... Uh, and research what I wanted to know. Did you ever Did you dig, ever in, dig that, in that John, John Edwards collection? Of there? course. See with a, yes. A, a great country music collection. Of course I did. Yeah, and and like I say, this is pre-internet. You know, you had to go places to find knowledge, and that's where I found it was Chapel Hill. It was a great southern town. Still had the feel of the South, which I was comfortable with, obviously, but it had a lot more education, universities, uh, influence from up east intellectual type uh, arts and intellectual life they had jobs <laughs> you know yeah. i could go wash dishes for six dollars an hour in 1980 you know 1989 and uh you know you couldn't get a job in mississippi making that much money doing that and still pursue arts so i did my time there i never really officially enrolled but i met a lot of professors that would let me sit in on their classes uh, I imagine it's not like this anymore, but I had a great romantic poets teacher and Kirkpatrick uh, opened my eyes to the poets, romantic poetry. I had Latin. I took four years of Latin, so sort of under the radar, because I wanted to understand Faulkner. And I didn't even know about Faulkner until I moved to Chapel Hill, because people didn't discuss literature in Alcorn County. <laughs> in 1985 right. so I didn't as soon as I read him it blew my mind and then I said oh my gosh he's from Lafayette County where I was born and so the more I learned the more it turned me back and did you, and did you recognize anything did you recognize community members family members anybody in those books of course yeah yeah and where I live now the the family names are all in the cemeteries and Taylor you know the Bundrens and all these families are buried right there where Faulkner, where I live now. That's I can go to the cemetery and see the, the families that he borrowed the names from. I mean, he made some up, Snopes and whatnot, but he used a lot of the names from the community. It took me a long time to figure all this out because nobody's really telling me about it. <laughs> but soon after I moved up there, within, I was up there about 10 years, and I got everything done I wanted to do, and I came back right around 2003. Well, let's take a music break and let's hear that title track from the... This is quite interesting. Yes, Yes, have we got got that set up? So now everybody pay close attention to Incinerator by Jimbo Mathis. We're back on the Arts Hour and our guest today is Jimbo Mathis. We're visiting with him at Dueling Hall where he's going to be performing tonight. We just heard the title track from his latest record, Incinerator. And now, Jimbo, this was uh, recorded up at uh, Dialback Sound up in Water Valley and it's kind of one of your your studio homes. Uh, So... Talk a little bit about the, the particularities of this of this record and how you approached it and different from other ones. Well, uh, as far as the studio, I mean, it's a great resource there for Mississippi. I mean, people all over the country are starting to recognize 
Dialback Sound, Matt Patton, the producer, uh, one, uh, one of the two producers, Bronson Tew, the other producer, and who's also the engineer. It, for a recording studio, this is a world-class place that is right here in Water Valley, Mississippi. And um, these are people that I've been, has been, have been in my orbit for, oh, coming up on seven, eight years now. And we've done all kind of different records together, and we have a nice relationship. We can speak in code, you know, in the studio, which the less speaking in the studio, the better. You know, you really don't need to talk about anything. Matt Patton and Bronson are from Alabama and come from a, a real specific musical background and history over there, and it just really jibes well with, with what I do. They grew up singing in the church, and... Um, a lot of shared experiences I can do shorthand with them very easily and then we just go in there on maybe I think the whole record the bulk of the record was done in two mornings you know maybe four hour mornings or something so we can work very fast had never rehearsed uh, some of the songs I was just really lining out on the piano all of them uh, as we were as we went along catch as catch can I'd sit there, figure out my part. They would listen. As soon as I was ready, I'd say, I'm ready. They'd come sit down. We'd push play and record, and that's it. So we just learned them with very little communication, you know. It was a nice, quiet environment. I was on the piano instead of guitar, so it was just bass, drums, piano, and my vocal. So I was able to hear the space, you know, in the song and really get into the moment of the song rather than a lot of guitars clanging. And a lot of my other records, you know, it's kind of a grab you by the lapel and shake you type of deal. But this one was just turned very meditative and very inward thinking. So in the studio there, it's dark, and we were just really able to get into the subconscious of the songs. Uh, and then Matt Patton, Bronson were able to come back and add a few things to the songs to produce them out, uh, add the harmonies and whatnot. And their harmonies are prominent on the record, the two of them, uh, from their church days. Yeah, it definitely sounds uh, like a ch- it's yeah, just like the two of them on most of the songs. People think it's four or five people, but it's it's just two. And sounds uh, like a whole like old gospel family there back well, in Europe. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I resemble that remark. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I meant it as a compliment. <laughs> but you know, I'm yeah. 53 years old, and I've been doing this this business for f- almost 40 years, and so just very easy. And then, you know, going back to the family aspect in the community up there in Water Valley, I took the tapes to uh, Bruce Watson from Fat Possum Records and Dialback, Big Legal Mess, the labels that are based in Oxford. Groundbreaking records. They have an incredible record label right here in Mississippi, one of the most respected you know, successful. Yeah, still and in I, business. Still you know, in business. This is, a, this is a great success. <laughs> and, yeah. and succeeding. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I just took him through it on his desk. He said, we'll put it out. I mean, it was just that easy. And, and these are from relationships I've been building over the past decade. And that's how easy it is to make the incinerator. There's no budget. There's no time constraint on it. But it took very little time. And and you're in Dialback, you're kind of in and out of there for a bunch of different projects, too. So it's just kind of all kind of works together, I guess, in a lot of ways. It is. It's it's my it's my hide, my hideout up there. And it's maybe six miles from Taylor, Mississippi, where I live. And I'm very comfortable there. I've produced there. I've done sideman gigs there. I've done all manner of things in there. And so 
super comfortable. We know the sound. That's something people don't understand about making records is how much really goes into it. You know, just recording a song and putting it out doesn't mean you've made a record. You know, I mean, there should be some purpose to it and, and a design and an overarching sound and concept to make something that stands out. And that's what we do up there. And it's getting a lot of attention. We just got a great review in Germany today. Of course, we got the Rolling Stone piece. That's a really nice article. Uh, yeah. Bitter Southerner. I don't know if I can mention these, but uh, uh, I mean, every publication is, is, has mentioned it now. I've got a great uh, Paris uh, French Rolling Stone article. So they're starting to look at it overseas. And I think they can almost see it easier. Uh, like Faulkner was, was first popularized in France. So maybe that's when I'll be popularized. <laughs> I'll get the Nobel Prize. Do the reverse like the old bluesman. <laughs> yeah. Carry your way over the, and come back. Yeah. The reverse migration. But uh, it just speaks to the studio, the power of the relationships that we have. We're talking with Jimbo Mathis on the Arts Hour today about his new record, Incinerator. Now, there's also a number of uh, guests, uh, singers, and performers on the record as well on us. Andrew Bird of note, especially that, and that's a really that's a really interesting song too with the strings on the um, hurt someone. Is that right? Yeah. Really hurt someone. Yeah. There's a few guests on here. We picked our battles on that. You know, I just wanted to reach out to certain people. Andrew Bird is somebody I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with with his work. Uh, he plays Carnegie Hall, and I mean he he is one of the biggest most innovative talented entertainers out there he got his start in my band squirrel nut zippers uh when he was in his early 20s back in the mid 1990s and uh he's gone on to be one of the most uh respected talented artists worldwide andrew bird and uh he cites me as a mentor and an inspiration and a a constant inspiration in his life and uh so i reached out to him because he's a musical genius and again it's people in my life that maybe i need to reach back out to and put them on this record so there's select people i i, I grabbed bird being one of them lily hyatt a singer from nashville her father is john hyatt and she's just more of the new breed a new inspiration that's coming out and somebody that's getting in our circle and then i also reached out to kevin russell from texas to do the duet on uh, south of laredo and again, he's a current inspiration, one of my biggest current inspirations. I admire his band, I admire his writing, and I produced his record. Uh, we won the Best of Austin Award two years ago for the record I produced. So it's not a morbid record. I want to keep the life, show the life that's still happening. And so history is yet to be made. As we look back on the past, there's still history yet to be made and, and lily bird and 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 kevin represent that that's great. and that and that song is it, it is one of those things that really your records always have such a, not a hodgepodge in a good way you know that you you grab things from all these different parts of the of of american music but that just that huge kind of string sound in your song it's almost it, it, it's not it, it evokes like the philly soul it's not that sound but that that bigness and that grandeur was is is, is something new to hear on your record it's incredible yeah. and and like i said because the song was so simple the way we did it and i had no idea that what i would do with the song but as soon as we cut it i listened to it a couple of weeks later i said i should reach out to andrew and he did an incredible string arrangement on that song 
which used to be more common in, in popular records. You know, I mean, look at American Studios and all the different, you mentioned the Philly sound. Well, we did it in the South, too. I mean, we continue to put strings on, on pop records. You, you mentioned your, um, your producing uh, with Kevin Russell. Probably some, some of our listeners probably aren't familiar, but you, you do a lot of producing as well. And maybe you could kind of talk about some of your most recent projects or ones that kind of stand out. I know there's so many, but just maybe pick out a few that people might not know about. Well, the, the, the Kevin Russell Shiny Ribs record is called Shiny Ribs in Austin, and, and uh, that's a fantastic one. Um, there's a Brooklyn artist I've done recently, uh, Bet Smith, and you'll see a lot of my productions on uh, on Dial Back, on a Big Legal Mess, Dial Back, or Fat Possum. I've done the Serotones recently. I've done. I mean, it's hard to even remember them all. Basically, when I produce a record, I join. I, I get into your mind. Like if I'm going to work with you, Larry, I'm going to. I'm going to get into your mind, and I'm going to help you get exactly what you want to do. So we have a little morphing, you know. So it's an intense experience, and if it's a band, I basically join the band, you know. <laughs> I'm 100% invested, just like it was my own. So I won't commit to it unless I'm 100% a believer in, in what it is. My new website is The Real Jimbo Mathis. I'm going to have a discography up there. Um, which I've been putting together, and people can go look at that. But it, it took me several days to just to get the list together. I've done something with uh, Robert Finley, Bernice, Louisiana, who's now on America's Got Talent. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> and he was He's a street a 60, performer or what? 66-year-old gentleman from Bernice that we found, uh, Bruce and some of the cats found just singing in, in – uh, over in he was, Arkansas, he was busking. I think. Yeah, he I was think. busking and, over uh, in uh, in uh, King Biscuit, right? Yeah, in Helena. Yeah. And I did I did a record with him. Uh, I was a producer on that. He went to Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys. Dan did a record, and now he's like one of the contestants, like up on uh, America's Got Talent. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know when this is going to come out, but I, have to I mean, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, and and you know, I'm glad to see things that I work on build and go places. You know, that's the point of it, right? You don't take all this time and energy. I don't invest all this energy into helping a, a, a band make a record for nothing. You know, there's got to be a purpose, like I said earlier. Well, let's listen to another track. Uh, I want to hear uh, Really Hurt Someone. And let, let's check this out. This is on uh, Jimbo Mathis from his new album, Incinerator. We're back on our final segment on the Arts Hour. Today we're talking with Jimbo Mathis about his new record, Incinerator. One of the things that came out kind of in tandem with this new record is a short documentary that they put online, kind of following you around for a little bit. Talk a little bit. It's called The World According to Jimbo Mathis. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it came out uh, at the, uh, concurrent with the release of the album. It's a Jackson filmmaker, J.B. Lawrence. Okay. And uh, it's also a Jackson writer that wrote the Rolling Stone piece. But J.B., um, I met him. And we put this uh, we put this thing together. Really, it was very serendipitous the way the film was almost done. It's a short piece, maybe twelve minutes. We did it fast, of course. All of my art projects are go very fast. And he came to New Orleans. He came to Taylor, Mississippi, and we shot him there. Uh, He's in the studio a little bit, and he was up at the Catfish House and whatnot. Uh, J.B. Lawrence. The concept for him, he and the the other producer. Jim Pennington was just to show the outside world what they've been knowing about me for a long time, what they've been appreciating, 
you know, an artist is nothing without their patrons, without their listeners, without their supporters, you know. I mean, it's a lonely world if it's just me voicing the wilderness. So, you know, they wanted to show, man, let's do something for Jimbo where we just kind of capture his essence some kind of way so people, you know, can see in a clearer way what he's really doing. Because I've thrown a lot of, you know, tricks out there for people to almost to wipe out my trail, you know, and points over the over time. And so we got this project going. The incinerator was coming out, and all of a sudden we had some nice uh, some momentum for the record, some acceptance. Like getting the Rolling Stone was huge for me, and the film was ready. And um, and so it just it's a great way for people. A lot of people know me from the Squirrel Nut Zippers. They think of me as that, but they don't know the depth, the endurance, I've, the, the time I've put into Southern music and arts. And to really get a sense of that, I think that film shows it. And it's basically like a primer for people who don't know me, you know, yeah. to get a sense of who I am. It's an entertaining little film any way you look at it. But has storytelling, has performances. It's got, it's got crazy, wild performances, and uh, it's... it's you know, it, it, it's a great 12 or 13 minute film that JB did. It was a big part of the, been a big part of the success of this album so far. And so it was really showing how reaching out across mediums from recording audio music and, and, and being an entertainer to hook up with a, a film project and to further both projects. Uh, and I think it was a great uh, mashup there that, that JB was able to really pull off and it's a great calling card for me right now one of the things i thought that it did really well was uh people in mississippi are familiar because you've been around over the last 15 or so years and see you in all kinds of different places correct but and and this really shows kind of how you can morph i mean you're still you but you can play a catfish house in Taylor for little kids coming up and giving you tips. You can then go to the, the, the freaky Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras on St. Claude and, and play the high ho lounge and all the crazy people down there and then go to was it mobile and do like a singer songwriter night and, and do that kind of thing. So it, it takes, it down. takes through a, a cool little quick trip. I mean, it's a nice snapshot. We go to the cemetery. I, I point out the, some of the Faulkner headstones there in Taylor uh, I think it shows some in the actually in the studio in Water Valley, so it's a good snapshot in, into what <laughs> the world according to Jimbo Mathis. So um, it's a it's a great life I get to lead. I, I, I never take it for granted being an artist, being somebody who can create, can make these things happen, and and bring joy and bring thoughts to people, and and maybe put some troubling things in their mind, food for thought. And so I never take it for granted. I, I work incessantly. I work incredibly hard and try to keep a high level of, of output uh, and, um, and also be a good person, a caring person, a loving person, have time for my friends and family, neighbors. That's important. And so you see that in the film when I go to the cemetery. Yeah, and uh, I think that hardworking part, I think a lot of people say, oh, Jimbo Mathis, he's just having a great time. What's your motto? The the born to party, forced to work, or something? Isn't that your? Is that one? That you well, said? I borrow that okay. from the record company, but, but yeah, <laughs> I think that's uh, 
You know, I don't know if I'm born. I, I think I'm born to work. Frankly, I mean, I really enjoy the work. You know, if you if you read interviews with with any artist of substance, nothing truly matters to them except their work. If you read the Faulkner Paris Review article, they, he he asks him a thousand questions and he gives him the same answers. If it's not about the work, it's not important. Tell people, maybe give people just a sense of, like, what's a typical week for Jimbo Mathis? Well, just look at the film. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like a a We didn't stage that. I mean, it's just literally. It was literally right off the bone. So, I mean, you're looking at it. You you see a lot of travel. You see a lot of collaborating. You see me around Taylor with my wife and, and taking care of the property where I live. And I'm very invested in the community. Uh, which you saw in the, in the film, so I, I think it's a nice snapshot. Like I say, it was two days in my life. Wow, that, that all was two days. Oh my God, <laughs> that well, was two days. Yeah. Three states. And, uh, <laughs> Three states yeah. in two days. Now you, you talk. I, I'm just curious. Uh, we're talking to uh, Jimbo Mathis on the Arts Hour. We're talking about his new record, Incinerator. You know your interest in history and and local characters and that. I'm just curious if there are things. Like now or in the last six months, or so, you know, what are things that you kind of are interested in that you're pursuing in those little bit of few moments that you have? Well, reading always, you know, reading is easy. Uh, and it, lot in, lot out, you know, as far as a writer goes. So I'm, I'm constantly reading. I've got a great library in, in Oxford, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll just go off on various topics, you know, uh, in the library. But, uh, there's never any real plan for the time being, I guess. I just kind of digest things, and then I wait till the time's right, till something speaks to me, and then I move on it. But right now, I'm very passionate. I'm very committed to this incinerator record. I think it's really got legs. It's getting noticed, um, which is very hard to do these days. There's so much noise out there. A lot of it's static, um, sound and fury signifying nothing. And I feel like this record actually signifies something, and I'm very dedicated. I have an incredible band. Everybody in the band is just like a brother to me. They sing like angels. They play like demons. They're incredible. And my focus is just to really help this record to get out and reach people and uh, follow up in the flesh, you know, if, and, uh, and that's really the, the main focus right now. The closing song, uh, Give Me the Roses, you said that's a, a cover song, but that kind of kind of takes you, it's a, a beautiful closer, but it also kind of takes you back to your beginnings, right, in terms of, tell a little bit about the story of that that song. It's a song by uh, A.P. Carter from the Carter family. It was wrote the, basically one of the canon writers of American music, you know, alongside Stephen Foster and Hoagy Carmichael and others. He's equally as important to the hillbilly you know, uh, genre. And I grew up up there in Alcorn County with a father that was a banjo picker. I started playing mandolin when I was six. Uncles, cousins played fiddles, and I'd probably learned several hundred songs by the time I was eight or nine years old. And the Carter family being among the canon, Jimmy Rogers. Now we're going back to the real roots of Mississippi music. Charlie Patton and Jimmy Rogers and, and, and all the their ilk and um so picking that's what we did growing up you know was it like an all weekend thing it was like an all weekend thing and it was a quite for really my whole i'd say between age six when i first really started joining in until 
really until I left home at age 17, 1985, it was a solid thing in our family, in our life, in our social circle. It was an all-weekend thing. There was no, I never saw a microphone. I never saw a speaker. You know what I mean? We would sit in a basement like we're sitting in now, or we'd sit around a picnic table, and music was a social music. So I actually got to learn social music in a modern era, you know, a, Alcorn County being very isolated area, especially then, and uh, not a lot of outside influence from TV or radio or anything. Say, did you listen to much like kind of contemporary music? There was nothing or? to listen to. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't so, get a radio station. Oh, there from was Memphis, a, right? Or? You couldn't pick up Memphis. Uh, you know, you could see like the Lone Ranger on TV after school. I mean, it was literally like growing up in the fifties, yeah. um, and. Um, so it was, I got to learn music just like all the heroes, like Jimmy Rogers. Like, you know, they didn't learn on the stage. They didn't learn in front of a microphone. They learned in society, you know, sitting on the the depot playing for tips, you know, when trains are coming and going or at a funeral or at a event for people, you know, and that's how I learned. It's the, one of the biggest blessings of my life as a musician to actually have learned like that. And with no aspirations for success, we never even had a considered money was never a part of it. It was just for us and the enjoyment of the people listening. And so on the song, on the record, there are, is it family members or who, who's on the record with you? So, with yeah, you? I, I'm, I'd forgotten about this. So I actually went back to Corinth uh, and a friend of mine, Ernie Welch, has a studio up there in his house and I thought man I should get some of the old cats back together and with me being the age I am now and knowing how to record this old timey sound and everything really well and go over to Ernie's basement set up the mics and get a bunch of the cats together so I got um, some of my biggest heroes growing up were there Peck Boggs, Jimmy Bennett, Buck Bennett um, and all these cats that are in their 70s, 80s and we got back together with a few mics and just did what I did when I was eight years old. But with me in charge, it was really fun, you know. And uh, and they're looking at me, waiting to see what I'm going to do. Like I used to look to them to see, waiting what they were going to do. Yeah. And we recorded seven, eight, ten songs. And I just did that just to edify myself, just to have it before anything happened and we right. couldn't do it right. and uh and, and the give me the roses track ended up tying up the incinerator record perfectly the sentiment the sound everything going back to the song the memory and the family all tied in and intermingled with with loss and all that and hope for the future it was the perfect song and i just went and snatched it out of the tape and uh, and dropped it on there sets yeah it kind of cl- puts a bow on everything it puts a bow on it. It ties it, so to speak. So you've done a run of shows here, uh, kind of around the around this region. What what's coming up? What do you have planned for the coming future for getting this record out more? We're we've there's bigger and better tours. The more we come out, the better we get. The more we're able to promote what we're doing on social media and through shows like this. Things are coming to us, and people are going, hey, we'd like to have this here. So it's kind of a brave new world for me. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to do some tours with uh, Drive-By Truckers, who Matt Patton, the producer, is the bassist for Drive-By Truckers, right. a big southern band. Yeah. We're going to do a nice run with them. Awesome. I'm looking at going to uh, Los Angeles 
with the band and doing something with Andrew Bird at a nice theater there, looking to get to New York. And so I'm going to keep fighting and just keep turning rocks over. It has momentum, and I haven't seen this in one of my records in a long time, so I'm excited to see what the future holds. Well, for people who want to learn more about you and more about the record, point them to that website one more time. Sure, you can go to The Real Jimbo Mathis. Uh, You can also go to Big Legal Mess Records, and you can get everything you need. All right, the new album's called Incinerator. Jimbo, thanks so much for giving us some time this afternoon, and and good luck out on the road. I really appreciate it, and thank the listeners for supporting me all these years. I love y'all so much, and thank you so much to Public Radio and all y'all do. Thank you. For those of you who tuned in late and you'd like to listen to the show again or share it with a friend, you can go to the MPB website at mpbonline.org. They post all our past shows as streaming files, or you can get on the MPB app and download it to your phone or other listening device. Until next time, we'll be seeing you.